As I think of COVID and change and transition, it really does, it brings me back to the basics of the gospel about what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what I'd like to share with you this morning. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, I'd like to go to uh, and talk through a a very well-known passage. We're going to focus on Mark chapter 8, verse 34. But I'd actually like to read verses 31 through the end of the chapter to give us some context. And ask the question once again, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Good times, bad times, COVID times, good economic times, challenging times. What does it mean to follow Jesus in the real world? So let me pray, and then I'd like to read this passage. Father, may you speak through your word this morning to bring hope to our hearts and life that we might see the beauty and power and glory of Jesus. We might see that he is worthy of our lives and that we might find life ourselves in him. May you speak through me and my own faltering words to bring words of truth. And may you transform our hearts and minds that we might love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31, the word of God says, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, "'Get behind me, Satan!' For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me read that again. It says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? This text literally tells us, if anyone wants to Come after me. If anyone wants to be a disciple of Jesus, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. But what does that mean? Let's unpack that step by step. According to Mark 8.34, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, first of all, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. Now, without a doubt, denying yourself includes denying those sinful desires that are born out of our hearts and then are revealed in our words and our actions. 
We cannot follow Jesus and at the same time follow wickedness. They're going in different directions. However, in this passage, Jesus does not just tell us to deny our sinful desires. He actually says something much more shocking and much more radical. He says that we must deny our very selves. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And that means that we must lay all that we are at the feet of Jesus. So in order to follow him, we have to give him our sins, but we also have to give him our hopes and our dreams and our joys and even our Christian ministries. Not because those things are bad in and of themselves, but because nothing and no one can take the place of highest priority in our lives except Jesus alone. He is our Christ. He is our King. He is our Savior. He is our priority, or He is not. There is no middle ground in that. When any other thing, whether it be good or bad, puts itself in the place of God as the most important thing in our lives, Whatever that is, good or bad, becomes an issue of idolatry. If we find our greatest security or value or hope or joy in something beyond Jesus, that thing, even the most beautiful and pure thing, becomes an idol in our lives, a false god and a barrier to true Christian discipleship. Now, Mexico City is filled with physical idols. You can't go very far without finding an idol of the Virgin of Guadalupe or of St. Jude or even of St. Death, which is a skeleton that people worship. And those are obviously false gods, right? Those are false gods. But they're oftentimes not the most dangerous kinds of idols for us. The most dangerous kinds of idols are the idols of the heart. And those include wicked things like envy and greed and lust and pride. But they also include really good things like my amazing wife and my kids and my ministry and my church. At times, the most beautiful and virtuous things become the most dangerous kinds of idols because we don't see them for what they are becoming as they strive for the place of priority in my life. And that happens when we take the good gifts of God and we put them in the place of God. Does that make sense? Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 10, let me read it. In, verse, in chapter 10, verse 37 through 39, of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
What a challenging passage, right? Like, Jesus is not supposed to say things like that. That's kind of hard to swallow. Now, he's not saying that family is a bad thing. In fact, the Bible is very clear that family is a gift of God. But he is saying that if I love my family more than Jesus, then I am taking the good gift of God and I am putting it in the place of God as a false idol. And we cannot follow Jesus and idols because one leads to life and the other only leads to death. And so if we want to follow Jesus, according to Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. So how do we know when something is becoming an idol in our lives, especially an apparently good thing? Well, I have a little diagnostic tool I want to utilize with you guys, all right? It's three questions. And I actually want you to answer these questions. So if you have like a piece of paper and a pen, pull it out. If you have your cell phone, take it out, open the notes function. It's the only time I'll tell you to open it, to use your cell phone during my sermon. Uh, if you have nothing, then take mental notes, okay? But I want you to actually respond. If you want to yell out the response, you can. It'd be a little bit weird. But the point is I want you to actually think through these questions. Are you right? This is a diagnostic tool to help identify idols or potential idols in your life. Question number one. What makes you most happy? What makes you most happy? You got something? Don't just stare at me, all right? You need to have something, okay? You have something? All right, that's the first question. Question number two. What do you worry about the most? What do you worry about the most? You got it? Okay. Question number three. What do you most long for? What do you most long for? Or to put it another way, what do you daydream about? more seconds. All right, whatever you wrote down or took a mental list of, those are the things you should be paying attention to. Those are the things you especially need to give to Jesus. These sorts of questions can help us to identify what's really happening inside our hearts, both the current idols and the potential idols. In order to deny ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves. There's no point in pretending with Jesus. We have to be honest with what's going on inside our own hearts. So for me right now, one of my greatest challenges is that I've invested 10 years of my life in a series of ministries and people who I love and value. And now I have to let go. And I'll tell you what I long for is control. That's one of the things I long for. In a sense, it's what makes, makes me happy. <laughs> I long for control. 
And I have this lie that tells me that if I'm not in control, then it's all going to fall apart. It's not going to work. It's all going to be wasted. And part of my following Jesus is having to release control and trust him with the ministries I'm leaving behind, whatever happens with them. Or maybe even a little bit more personal right now is my 18-year-old son is going away to college. And I tell you what, I would like to be able to control his life. But I can't. I have to entrust my son to a faithful creator who is a a greater father than I am. So, so what is it that you most value? What is it that you long for? Are you willing to lay that aside or to lose it or even to sacrifice it if necessary in order to follow Jesus? Whatever it is that's coming to your mind right now, you need to chew on that and think about it and reflect on what it means for your journey of discipleship as you seek to follow Jesus. Even your amazing church, Austin Bluffs Evangelical Free Church, can become an idol when you begin to protect the good thing that you have going on for your well-being instead of continuing to risk yourselves for the glory of God and the well-being of our world. Because we don't exist just to enjoy the good thing that we have. We exist to build up God's church for his glory, that the world might know him. So according to Mark 8.34, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. And secondly, you have to take up your cross. You have to take up your cross. Now, in the first century, the cross only meant one thing. It meant death, and a shameful death at that. In Mark 8.31, Jesus makes clear that he knows that the people are going to murder him. And he invites us on that same journey of suffering, even unto death. Now, the majority of the apostles who heard these very words, they ended up dying for their faith. And the path that they walked is the same path that Jesus invites us to walk as well. John Piper talks about the cross meaning four things. He says the cross is about opposition, shame, suffering, and death. Opposition, shame, suffering, and death. So a refusal to take up your cross would be about embracing human approval, holding on to your respect, embracing comfort and pleasure, and holding fast to personal safety. Those things end up being enemies of the cross. Taking up your cross is embracing the opposition as it comes. It's embracing the shame of identifying with the crucified king. It's embracing the suffering of Jesus. And if necessary, it means laying down your life for something greater and someone greater. So the question is, are you willing to die for Jesus? or maybe even more in a culture that so values comfort, are you willing to suffer and be uncomfortable for him? That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Some of the people will say to missionaries, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, you could. 
You follow Jesus wherever it leads you, whether it's middle-class America or rural Kansas or big city Mexico City. And whatever price you have to pay, you pay that price because Jesus is leading you. So in Mark 8.34, Jesus says, if you want to follow him, if you want to be his disciple, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross, and third, you have to actually do it. You have to follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Simply put, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. The disciples are not simply academics who study the Bible. Disciples are not just Jesus fans who get Bible tattoos or cross-stitch verses or have a Jesus fish on their car eating a Darwin fish. No judgment if you have any of those things. Being an authentic disciple of Jesus means following Jesus wherever he leads and whatever it costs. And we don't do it because we're always in agreement with where he's going. It's like, well, he's already going the direction I like, so I'll follow him. We do it because we trust him. Because we trust him. Because he is our North Star. He is our guide. He is our Lord. He is our life. And he is our hope. And don't confuse right doctrine with following Jesus. One of the dangers in good Bible-teaching churches is we can deceive ourselves and think that good theology means that I'm following Jesus. There are a lot of people with good theology who are in hell. Your good theology has to result in a transformed life, a radical commitment to your king that is expressed in your words and actions as you love and serve and follow. Maybe we don't understand everything here. But we know that there is no other way worthy of our lives. It makes me think of John 6, 67 through 68, where Jesus asks his disciples that the crowds have just left him. They say, this is too much. And, and Jesus says, are you also going to leave? And Peter re- responds, he says, Lord, where would we go? You have words of eternal life. If you've noticed in the Gospels, the apostles are not superheroes. They're messing up all the time. They rarely understand what's happening. They're fighting over power, position. There's not a lot to emulate in the disciples. But there's one thing. They keep following Jesus. They don't understand it all. They're confused. But they keep following Jesus. That is the great virtue, and that's the great example So Christianity involves a lot of amazing truths and principles and commands and promises. But at its core, there is just one simple question. Will you follow Jesus? Will you trust him until the very end, wherever he leads and whatever it costs? That is the essence of the Christian faith. And that's what it means to be a disciple So are you willing to follow Jesus? You should probably respond to that too. Write it down. Take a mental note. And some of you are saying, yes, I am ready and I am willing. And if that's you, then I say amen and let's do it and let's do it together. 
There is no better way. But I suspect that some of you are probably doubting. Or maybe you don't even really understand the question. And I want to let you know that that's okay. And that 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 makes sense. Because this morning we've talked about what it means to follow Jesus, but we still haven't talked about why you should follow Jesus, about why you should entrust your life to him. And that's a really good question. So I'd like to finish our time this morning sharing three reasons why we should trust in Jesus, why we should follow him until the very end. First of all, we should trust in Jesus because he offers us life. Secondly, we should trust Jesus because he is strong. And third, we should trust Jesus because he is worthy. Let me unpack each of those briefly. First of all, we should trust Jesus because he offers us life. It says in Mark 8, 34 through 37, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You see, as humans, we have, we have a serious problem. It's what the Bible calls sin. We are sinners. And what that means is that we have not lived the lives of justice that God requires. And according to the word of God, the wages of sin, the consequence of our injustice, of our unrighteousness, is death. And eternal death at that. It is what true justice requires. And our God is always just in his judgments. Always. We have a problem at times in Mexico with unjust judges who do not punish evil. God will always punish evil because he is just and because he is good. But that's a problem when we are not good. But it's not just a problem of justice. It's also an issue of natural consequences. So when we take the the good gifts of God and we put them in the place of God, we're actually giving ourselves over to false gods who can never give us what we most deeply desire. Those married couples who are striving to have children and can't, you, you need to know that having children will never give you the happiness that you most deeply desire. For those single men and women, getting married or having a romantic relationship will never fill you in the way that you hope. Your career will never be sufficient. And the COVID vaccine will not protect us from the day of judgment. And neither will your bank account or retirement fund or, for some of you, your concealed carry. In Mark 8.35, Jesus is saying that if you want to save your life, hold on to your life apart from him, 
you're going to lose it. It's going to slip through your fingers. If your greatest desire is to be accepted by others or to feel secure or happy or healthy or even religious, you're going to lose it all. Because you cannot draw water from an empty well and you cannot find life on the road to death. But those things that you most deeply desire, they can be found in Jesus. He can and does offer us life and joy and acceptance and security and a true family because Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all of our deepest and most profound desires. In John 14, 16, Jesus says that he is the life and he offers his life true life, abundant life to all who will trust in him. And that means that we really cannot lose anything that we give over to him. That's why Jesus says in Mark 8, 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. When you give it all to him, he gives it right back. We trust him because he offers us life. Secondly, we trust him because he is strong. Jesus offers us life. We see that. But how do we know that he's able to fulfill his promises? Have you guys ever heard a politician make some pretty incredible promises? It's easy to make promises, right? It's much harder to fulfill those promises. So how do we know Jesus can do it? We know he can do it because he is strong. So strong that he was able to defeat death itself as the resurrected Lord. This is not a religious truth. This is not a spiritual truth. You need to understand that this is a historic truth. In history, 2,000 years ago, a dead man rose from the dead. That is the essence of the Christian faith. And if a dead man can rise from the dead, then something has fundamentally shifted in the world and in human history. Jesus can fulfill his promise of life because he is stronger than death itself. In Mark 8, 31, talking about himself, Jesus said that it is necessary that he die. So this wasn't a surprise. And that is exactly what happened. They murdered him. But he also said that he would rise from the dead three days later. And that's exactly what happened. Bodily, physically, he rose from the dead as the victor of death itself. Do you guys know anybody else who has defeated death and we're excited people recover from COVID, right? Jesus broke the back of our greatest enemy. And if Jesus is strong enough to defeat death itself, then he has the necessary power to rescue us from it as well and to fulfill every single one of his good promises. But in this passage, this text There's also a warning, and I can't ignore the warning. 
In Mark 8, 38, it says that Jesus will return someday. This same resurrected Jesus will return someday in glory. And on that day, he will judge the nations with power. It says in chapter 8, verse 38, talking about that day, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus does not just invite us to follow him. Jesus commands us to follow him. He does not only have the power to save us, he also has the power and authority to judge us. And that leads us to our final point. We should trust in Jesus because he offers us life. We should trust in Jesus because he is strong. And we should trust in Jesus because he is worthy. Because he's worthy. Jesus is the author of life. He is the all-powerful God. Those things are enough to show that he's worthy. But there's something more. In Mark 8, 8, verse 31 before saying that he's going to raise from the dead, he says something really important. He says that he's going to die. In fact, he says that he must be killed. And in verse 32, it says that he said this plainly. He wasn't being secretive or mystical. He's speaking plainly. He was going to die. And that means that, according to Jesus himself, he did not come to just instruct us as a great teacher. And he didn't come just to warn us as a great prophet. It means that Jesus came to die. He came to die for our sins as the Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of his people. That means that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as it says in Mark 10. Jesus dying, the just for the unjust, to bring us in peace to God, forgiving our wickedness and cleansing us and reconciling us to God, and as a result, with one another and with our broken world. Jesus is worthy because he gave everything for us. Do you know anyone else who loves you like that? Who would sacrifice everything for you? Knowing full well who you are. Like, like take a moment and consider like the deep sins of your heart. The things that people don't know about. Things that you've done or that you desire in those really dark moments. That's some terrible stuff in there. There is some terrible stuff in my heart. Jesus knows all of that. And knowing all of that, he gave himself over for me. We follow Jesus. We trust him because he is so good and beautiful and kind. So a little missions plug. Why do we do missions? It's not just because of the Great Commission. 
That's important. But even if the Great Commission were not explicitly written in Scripture, would it really change that much? We share Jesus with our neighbors and with our world, not because we're just commanded to, like some horrible obligation. We share the goodness of Jesus because he is so good and wonderful and kind and beautiful. We talk about what we love. When we see what Jesus has done for us, the love he has poured out towards us, how can we not go to the ends of the earth or to our coworker? or to our neighbor, and tell them about the love of Jesus and that he is worthy of their lives. Jesus is worthy of our lives. There's no one better, no one stronger, no one else who can offer us life, no one more worthy of our lives and our trust and our worship. And that's why we follow him wherever he leads and whatever it costs. Denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following him. We do that for our own salvation. We do that for the good of our world, and we do it for the glory of our God. And I'd end this morning encouraging you, if you know Jesus, to recommit yourself to following him wholly, fully, radically. The world around us is a world of compromise. And we begin to breathe in the compromise of our age. And we don't even realize it. It infects us like a cancer. And it draws our heart away from our king. Renew your commitment to radically love Jesus and therefore to radically love others in his name. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, maybe you have good theology, maybe you're raised in the church, maybe you're visiting Follow him, like right now. Just make a choice. Give him your life, wherever he leads and whatever it costs. And it'll hurt at times. It'll be hard at times. But there's no one better. There's no path more worthy of your life. There's no path more filled with hope and goodness and joy and salvation and personal and worldwide transformation. Let me pray. Father, thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for loving us, knowing full well who we are. Father, may your spirit awaken our hearts anew, that we might be able to see you for who you are, for how worthy you are. And may you transform our lives anew, to walk in the light, to face death without fear, and to worship you with every part of our being because you are worthy of our worship and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.